Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About This? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Bee Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. If you subscribe to our website, you'll receive a free printable PDF file with over 30 motherhood affirmations. I wrote these affirmations at a time when I needed them and realized they could actually help others. You can use them as a bookmark, put them on your mirror, bedside table, fridge, or even the back of your toilet door, wherever you want, to help remind you of your strength, give yourself compassion, recognize perfectionism, rage, guilt, overwhelm, and enhance self-belief, self-love, and self-acceptance. You can give them to your family and friends, it would actually be the perfect gift for a new mum. Words have power, and I hope you'll be kind to yourself in this hard but worthwhile time. Head to thepowerofbirth.net to subscribe and download your free motherhood affirmations today. We spend a lot of time preparing for birth to then have our babies and be sent on our way. So now what? Learning to navigate your baby's cues, trying to bond, recovering from birth, establishing feeding, trying to rest and shower, all while potentially battling baby blues, trying not to forget your partner and your relationship, being in the depths of matrescence. It is a lot. It can be hard and a confronting time, but we need to recognize that just as much prep we do for birth, we need to be doing for postpartum, particularly the fourth trimester. Generally, postpartum prep includes setting up baby's nursery, researching the best baby products, buying a pram and car seat and a thousand muslin wraps, and that's about it. No prep for you as the mama. So how do we know what to prepare for postpartum, particularly if it's your first time? So today I'm chatting with Layla Armour, a postpartum doula, author of The Village for Mama and face behind Village for Mama. And Layla is on a mission to gather modern villages around modern mamas. So Leila, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. As I was saying before, I am a giant advocate for doulas and doula support. So it's exciting to have a postpartum doula come on the podcast. So tell me, why did you become a postpartum doula? What's your story? Um, well, doula kind of came second. So I, um, I had a business and I sold it after three years, planning to sail around Australia with my boyfriend who I met through work um and the day it sold we found out we were pregnant so my sort of life very quickly changed course and I think in hindsight my matrescence journey really started through that pregnancy because I'd let go of my business which was my whole identity and then I went into pregnancy no one really wants to hire a pregnant person and I didn't know what I wanted to do next so I had a really beautiful, restful pregnancy where I spent a lot of time reading and researching, which is where I sort of stumbled across the words the fourth trimester and postpartum and doulas. And um, so I guess that was my sort of entry into this world. And then it wasn't until I then had my baby and went through my own postpartum period that I realised that the foundation for postpartum wellness was support 
and it was having my mum nearby feeding me and holding me and looking after me that really got me through that time. Um, And so when my daughter was four months old, I had this light bulb moment. I was driving, listening to an interview with Dr. Oscar Serilak. And I just, yeah, had this light bulb moment that I need to create a recipe book that helps mums gather a village and gather a community and ask them to make the food for them. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing more helpful for a new mum than one less thing to do. And if it's a home cooked meal, then everyone's happy. Um, And so, yeah, I started writing my book um, and then I started studying postpartum nutrition. And it was that that then led me into working as a postpartum doula. So, yeah, that's a a roundabout answer. Yeah. Wow. That actually that's pretty incredible because, yeah, I find that it would most likely be in the other way around in other scenarios. you know, you become a doula and then you're an author and you write books. You add a, add a product or yeah, no, the, the book was my light bulb moment. I mean, my business before was a food business. So I've always had this love of preparing food and I'd say food is definitely my love language. So there was, I guess, that element that was always there. Um, but yeah, I started with the book and then I realized that I actually didn't know that much about the foundations of postpartum nutrition so I went on to study holistic postpartum nutrition um, and it was that course that then made me realize I actually want to do this one-on-one so that was what led me into working with mums as a postpartum doula. So tell us then exactly what does a postpartum doula do? Okay so for me it's completely mother-led care so I go into a new mother's post-baby bubble into her nest Um, And I hold space for her and support her in any which way she needs. So in the very early days, that's normally reflecting on her birth experience and seeing what I can do to help with her recovery. So whether she had um, a vaginal cesarean birth or stitches or any sort of remedies or tinctures that I can provide her to help with her healing process. Um, And then there's a lot of cooking and cleaning and cuddling babies a little bit, um, holding space emotionally for the mum, providing information, any holistic advice or um, yeah, anything she needs to help her through that period that I guess parents and friends and family don't really fill that gap. So that's where a postpartum doula comes in. And I think that just having somebody around who is fully immersed in postpartum with different women you have more than just your own experience to go off as well so it's like you know if you had your mom or your sister or someone around you they really only have their own experiences to go off so I find having a postpartum professional I guess we could say they would be able to provide a more holistic mother-led care as you put it which I really love because I think about my own experience so I had a private midwife both times for both my babies in pregnancy and birth and postpartum and they sort of stick with you for the six weeks postpartum And, you know, I had somebody to sort of ease my worries, check on baby, sort of give me some advice about my recovery and help me establish breastfeeding and things. But, you know, I remember saying to my husband, we're really lucky, you know, this isn't the norm. Only 8% of women sort of get this care. And in saying that, the support was mostly medical support for me and baby. So I can't really call it holistic postpartum care. And I look back and I think how different things would be if I had a postpartum doula. And I can tell you right now, by week three, 
you know, where baby blues hit and people stop visiting and no one's really stopping by anymore and sort of the novelty wears off pretty quickly for others. And I remember sitting on my couch home alone, looking around and kind of thinking, well, what now? And looking back, I probably could have leaned on my family or other people, but this is really where doulas can fill that gap. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's amazing. I also had a private midwife and I thought that the care that I had coming every day for that first week and then once a week for the six weeks was incredible. And yes, it was more medical, but still on top of that, I found that a huge percentage of her attention was on baby. There were a couple of questions about me, which was totally fine. But yeah, I really would say that a postpartum doula, her primary focus, while she does provide advice around sleeping cues, feeding cues, baby, it is predominantly to serve the mother and to do everything to hold space and support the mother. Yeah, which I would say in this day and age is vital because we are mothering alone a lot of the time. So you mentioned you were passionate about nourishing women in postpartum, and this is sort of what led you to becoming a doula in the first place. So what kind of nourishment does a postpartum mama need? Yeah, absolutely. So if we look at postpartum care today, most of what we're going by follows very traditional wisdom from cultures all around the world. And we are starting to filter that wisdom back down into our modern postpartum care. And if you look around the world from China to South America to Morocco, they all sort of follow very similar principles when it comes to nourishing a new mum. And the sort of three primary focus points around nutrition are nutrient dense, warm, um, so not not raw foods or warm cooked food, um, and then soft and easy to digest food. Um, And those are really, really important, especially in the first, I'd say, two weeks when a new mother needs to have her stores rebuilt. She's just gone through um, pregnancy for nine months and then she's gone through the marathon of birth. So she's depleted. So she really needs to focus on rebuilding her stores, especially as she's about to start breastfeeding. And that's another huge tax on a mother's nutrient reserve. Um, Warm food. So that follows much more of a sort of Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic principle of making sure that everything a mum puts into her body is warm, so that's not just temperature of food, that's also warming spices, which is believed to help with circulation, which improves the healing process. And then soft and easy to digest food is so important because, as you know, your uterus is reducing in size, all your organs are slowly moving back to their original place. And as a result, your digestion is really compromised. And then beyond those um, early days, I think it's really important to make sure a mum's being nourished with beautiful balanced meals with a combination of energy rich carbohydrates um, to help build milk supply, protein for repairing tissue and muscles um, and healthy fats for nourishing the breast milk, balancing out mum's hormones and stabilizing her blood blood sugars. So it's like we have the science behind this. Oh, we have so much wisdom and I find it so interesting that Um, And I've said this before on a podcast that around the world, the wisdom is being passed down from generation to generation to mothers. So a mother's mother will move into her home and hold space for her and feed her and cook for her and um, 
almost take over her role within the house of cooking and cleaning so that she could rest and connect with her baby. And I feel like in our modern Western world, we are seeing a bit of a shift with awareness around postpartum care. And it's like we're now passing it back up to our mothers to be like, this is what I need. This is what is important. And a lot of the time the response back is, well, I didn't have that. I just got on with it. So we are really reframing the importance of that slow period after we give birth and honouring rest for recovery and honest honouring meals being cooked for us um, and really taking it slow. Oh, I think about what you said just then about passing the wisdom up to our mothers and I can't help but think how much of an impact village-style support and care can have on a woman for the rest of her life, particularly while mothering. Um, and I think about my mum who had six children and I think about how if she had that care and nourishment and someone to hold and nurture her also, how would that have impacted her parenting and the way she thought about herself or maybe, you know, like her as a mother? We live in a world where asking for help is difficult because then it feels like we're failing and these things tend to sneak up on us. And I really do think that it's hurting us long term and it's something that stays with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I really feel that um, a, a woman's future health and well-being is heavily dependent on how she cares for herself after she has a has her baby. I mean, there's a saying that how you look after yourself in the first 40 days, which is that sort of traditional confinement period, um, sort of impacts how you you feel and are for the next 40 years of your life. So I think it definitely has a long-term effect on not just you as a mother, but also on your, your children's health and well-being. I think the future of women's health is based around how she cares for herself and how she mothers. And yeah, I think it's such an important thing that we're only starting to put together the, the puzzle pieces of how it affects us long-term. Mm, yeah definitely we sort of touched on it but what do you feel we're getting wrong as a society a system partners families in postpartum and what do you believe needs to change now well I think the primary focus for new mums needs to be rest and that's not just physical rest that's social rest emotional rest we like there's a big picture of rest and I think especially during the first two to three weeks really honouring that slow time. Whereas what we kind of do is we we have this sort of expectation to bounce back and to show this the world that this new mum can do anything and I want to show off my new baby and I'm exercising and I'm walking and it's like almost a badge of honour to say that motherhood hasn't changed you. And I think we almost measure our successes um a mother by how unchanged we are by becoming a mother and if you aren't going back to your old routine and you aren't going back to your old life then you're that almost is perceived as struggling at motherhood which isn't the case at all so I think it's yeah I guess reframing well prioritizing rest reframing what it means to become a mother and how you need to behave as a mother because the cocooning with your new baby doesn't mean 
you're not capable of getting on with life. It means you're honouring yourself and where you're at in life. Um, and really removing this idea of bouncing back in a post-baby body. I mean, postpartum body photos resemble weight loss photos, which doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I think there needs to be a real cultural shift around what is a new mother and what does she need a couple of things you said just struck some thought and I and I thought about, you know, being soft or being able to rest can be considered lazy or weak. Absolutely. And I think, yep. like, how did we get here? If you've ever seen a birth or even if you've had, you know, a difficult pregnancy or birth trauma or something really significant happen, I mean, you don't even have to have anything significant to be able to just simply rest This is the hard part, though, too, because then a lot of women say, oh, but I feel good. Like I'm one week postpartum and I don't want to sit down and rest. And I it's like we don't recognize what our bodies have been through. Even if you feel great, that's amazing. I'm happy for you. But sit down. (laughs) No. And I think we're like, I don't know, we're constantly distracted. We're constantly on our phone we're listening to a podcast while we're doing this we're doing a million things at once so I think it's genuinely really difficult for women especially to sit still and do nothing and I think one of the reasons that um that in the during that traditional lying in period there is a whole week where a woman is urged to stay in bed and I think one of the reasons that that's amazing is because it actually um, removes the visual temptation of laundry piling up or a messy kitchen or a messy house if you're sheltered in your room you can sort of ignore what's going on around you but I mean I even found it really difficult to sort of just sit on the bed I sort of wanted to get up and do things but I also had read so much about how even if you feel great it can have long-term health impacts and so I guess you've just got to fight that urge and I think I've spoken to mums that are on their second and third baby and they found it so much harder with other kids around but so much easier to rest the second and third time around so yeah I guess there's a bit of a a juggle when there's more kids around but I think it's especially hard for first-time mums because I felt great after giving birth I like I yes I was tired but I also had that surge of hormones where I I couldn't sleep for two days because I was just lying in bed staring at my husband thinking oh my gosh I love you so much and staring at my baby being like I think I love you even more than that which how is that even possible um and so I had that surge of energy and love and um yeah it was a struggle to fight against that but you can almost compare it to having a cold or a flu and being unwell and knowing that if you probably need to rest for four days but nine times out of ten you get up on that second or third day and by the end of that day you are absolutely spent and you feel rubbish again so it is just even though you feel like you have it within you ignoring it and honoring that rest period does have such an impact on how you feel in the long run and how your body recovers yeah definitely and I think you've just provoked um, some more thoughts and I'm thinking okay so we're not resting essentially right after we give birth and then I think about mothers in general and when there are times in their lives when they actually need rest like sickness and flus and stuff mums still aren't resting no this seems to be something that follows us throughout motherhood 
absolutely we don't stop and even if you're physically resting like lying in bed and it's not because you're having a nap it's normally because you're feeding a baby to sleep or trying to get your toddler to sleep it's never about you it's always for someone else um you've still got that mental load going on like it's it's relentless it's constant Mm. and I think maybe it is easier for second and third time mums to honor that rest because they know that once you get up and start moving you don't you don't ever stop it's just a slippery Mm -hmm. slope from that point so um yeah I think fighting that temptation and really honoring it and I'm not saying that we need to do 40 days of rest because that is it can be seen seen as extreme and it can be really challenging but even setting an intention of I'm going to do 10 days and that's going to be really hard for me but I know that I can gather support for 10 days I know that I can just fight the temptation for 10 days and even that will have a significant effect on how you recover and how you feel long term yeah I love that setting an intention it's like part of the prep so as a postpartum doula what are some of the most common struggles you see for new mums well I feel like when you most actually all the mums I've worked with are second time mums yeah I was gonna ask you that because for first time mums I imagine it's not a thing no it's not a thing and maybe as I said, I've before we started recording that I've really noticed a shift in conversation around this, especially in the last two years. Um, and yeah, like you said, social media is amazing for that. But at the same time, I feel like social media is such an echo chamber. And you do get in a yes. sense of, yes, everyone's talking about this. And then you step out of that echo chamber and no one knows what you're talking about. So yes. the, the algorithm <laughs> keeps you in a way sometimes. So, yeah, maybe there will be a shift with first-time mums reaching out for that support, but it's always second-time mums. And I think there's a combination of things. I think the first time round, they felt really unheld and unsupported. The the second time round, they've got that anxiety about having another child in the house and how they're going to do it all with a toddler in tow. And it's funny because nearly all new mums with a second baby are like, baby's so easy it's the toddler that's the it's the other children that are the hardest part um and I also think a lot of women and this is inherent across all women really struggle to ask for help and they struggle with the idea of reaching out to their family or their friends and so by hiring a postpartum doula it's someone that they they're comfortable to ask for help or to to process things with or it's almost easier to ask someone to help that you've employed to help you than it is to ask someone that lives with you to help you if that makes sense but in saying that Layla I actually personally don't know anyone that's hired a postpartum doula I know people like on socials that I follow and things like that but personally in my life no one yeah do you know many people that have hired a birth doula Uh, no one in my circles, but I do find that that's much more common. Yeah. So I think the same way people felt about birth doulas, maybe in the last five or 10 years, is the same sort of trend with postpartum doulas. So I do feel like it is becoming more common. Um, Mm -hmm. I also think maybe COVID has sort of reduced the likelihood of people reaching out to a postpartum doula because they've got family home um Mm. I feel like 
a few of my inquiries have been FIFO mums that have had that sort of fear going the second time round with, I need someone home with me or to be there for me. And my husband is flying out, flying in. I need that support, not having him there. So I think it's very dependent on a situation, family to family. But I think things that play into it are um, second time mums or more time mums. Um, the finance side of it, like, mm. I mean, a postpartum doula for six weeks with food is, I think, pretty sure it's cheaper than some of the prams that people are buying. So it's just a priority. <laughs> um, so I guess it's just a where you prioritize what what you prioritize in um what we value yeah what we value is the word that I was looking for then thank you um I do think there is definitely more awareness around it and that is going to inspire more mums to look into it and hire a postpartum doula I mean one of the first mums I supported she'd lost her mum and so recently she lost her mum while she was pregnant so that was such a special experience for me to come into her space and support her through her postpartum period and, and fill the shoes in a way that her mum would, would have been there for during that time. Um, so yeah, I just think it really depends on where someone's at in their family life as to whether they even investigate the option of a postpartum doula. Um, but yeah, there's definitely things that inspire people to inquire that are quite common, if that makes sense. I was thinking about it and my husband and I have had these conversations like this over and over because he's from the Philippines and he was he was born there and he moved here when he was about 14 and I remember after we had our baby he said you know you wouldn't feel like this if you were in the Philippines in the village you wouldn't be alone you would have people over all the time and like you would be forced to rest like you would not be allowed to do anything but rest and be with your baby and I'm pretty sure they don't even let them shower for 12 days and there's all these other sort of things. Um, I don't know if I could have done that. No, and, and they, I think they don't wash their hair, they don't brush their teeth. There's lots of very, yeah. Yeah, and well, people are just in your house all the time doing all the things for you. And he talks about in his culture how women and mothers are so well respected and they are the highest of the high in any kind of social hierarchy because mother is the center of everything and that's just how it's viewed in the region he's from anyway um i can't speak for the rest of the philippines but this is the thing the people that live there they've been there for generations so generations know their neighbors and community or and it's like a community of generations it's just a very different not only culture but way of living and mentality we just don't have that here um, but I find it interesting to find out what kind of person actually reaches out to a postpartum doula because it's just not the norm, but oh, how I wish we could normalize this kind of support. It's just so needed. It's so needed. And I think that social media is amazing for that. I mean, there's so much that I've learned from social media and I feel like so much of parenting and motherhood is done behind closed doors and social media has kind of slightly opened the door on a lot of people's lives and it's making new mums especially feel so much less alone in what they're going through um which I think I think that makes a huge difference because if you aren't talking to your neighbors and you haven't got a close-knit village or community I think a lot of 
modern mummers are turning to an online village, which isn't ideal because an online village doesn't bring you food and they're not physically there holding space for you. But it's better than nothing, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, then. What are your top five tips for getting through the fourth trimester? Um, Okay, so I think preparing for your fourth, and and we spoke about this at the very, I don't know if we were recording or not, but we spoke about the fact that um, you really focusing on birth in this um, season. And I do consider preparing for your fourth trimester as part of your birth prep, because the second you give birth, you're, you're, you've crossed through to your fourth trimester and it, it all begins straight after birth. So I think definitely begin preparing for your fourth trimester in your third trimester. My number one tip is gathering your village because I think the foundation of postpartum wellness is support and support is your village. Um, I always talk about the sort of three villages and I think there's your personal village, which is friends, family, colleagues, neighbours, if you talk to them. Um, there's your professional village, which I think is really important to identify in your third trimester. So your professional village is doctor, midwife, lactation consultant, physio, especially if you've gone through this before and you notice that, hey, I really struggled with breastfeeding or um, I really struggled with incontinence or I was unable to walk for weeks or emotionally I really struggled I was riddled with anxiety I was angry all the time anything that you noticed your first time round, I think it's really important to reach out to practitioners that specialize in those areas during your third trimester making sure they're available making sure you like them and you get on with them because you are your most vulnerable after you give birth especially during the first two to three weeks where everything is new even if you're doing it for a second or third time round and you need to be able to know hey I'm going to call this lactation consultant and it's not going to be like calling a stranger because if it feels like you're calling a stranger chances are you're not going to pick up the phone to them which means you then miss out on that care that you probably really really need so yeah I think your professional village is almost as important as your personal village and and organizing it in your third trimester. And then the third village that I talk about is the community village. So that's other mums. Something that I found so valuable was having a mums group with mums that had babies all a similar age. Um, and I mm. never understood if I reached out to a friend who had a baby, may say a six month old or I had a six week week old and I asked them a question they're like oh I don't remember when you're in it you're like what what do you mean you don't remember how could you ever forget this and then and then someone does it to you and you're like oh I don't actually remember um I feel like surrounding yourself with even just one or two mums that are at a very similar stage can make you feel so much less alone in your motherhood journey and whether that be a face-to-face mums group or an online mums group I think that's really valuable and you can connect with mums like that through pregnancy pilates classes or yoga classes talking to your your care providers to find out if they've got any other local mums that are around a similar gestation to you um yeah I really think gathering those three villages is really important especially during your third trimester so you're ready to go during your fourth trimester 
Um, meal prep is something that I think is really important. I think filling your freezer with not just meals for you, but meals for the family, especially if you've got other kids, can be really helpful. Um, I'm just trying to think of, I, I guess you could say it falls under that gathering your village is reaching out to your personal village and asking them to bring you meals. That was why I created my book was to make it really, really easy to ask for help. And I thought about all the things that I wish every new mum said to her village or her friends and family. And then a lot of people said to me, oh, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that to my sister-in-law or my neighbour. I'm like, they feel comfortable enough being like, when can we see the baby? You need to be comfortable enough and saying, when you've made me a meal. <laughs> it's, it's like... Top tip. <laughs> and so I, I thought, I know, I'm going to write a letter that sort of highlights these really mm. important things that I wish every new mum said to her friends and family. And I'm going to put it on the back of this recipe. And if a mum hands it out to her friends and family... And she's like, I would never say any of those things. She can blame it on me. I didn't write those things. Yeah. Layla wrote those things. You can read them if you want. Or and yeah, just get them get the message across and it's not me that's saying it. Um, because yeah, we struggle to ask for help so much. So I think for, like a tip for getting through the fourth trimester is get comfortable asking for help and start asking for things during your pregnancy, even really little silly things get comfortable like get comfortable and confident asking for help because I think like everything in life it just takes a little bit of practice um, and people are honored like that's the thing is so many people would say I was so honored that so and so asked me to help like asked me to cook for them um but if you just ask someone to cook for you is it can be a bit vague and so it's helpful for them for you to be specific so even if it feels like you're being a bit bossy and demanding at the end of the day, you're getting help and you're being helpful to the person that you're asking. Like I said before, one of my tips is that prioritizing rest for as long as possible and setting an intention. So even if it's three days that you're not going to leave your room, set that intention, have that conversation with yourself and then have it with your, um, your partner in your village. This is what I'm going to do. Because I think if you say it out loud, to both yourself and the people around you they're going to help you facilitate that um, and yeah 40 days might be ridiculous to them and it might be ridiculous to you but even picking a smaller number so the first three days the first 10 days um, and really prioritizing that rest and then my fifth tip is building your postpartum nest so so many women prepare for postpartum by making sure they've got a breast pump and making sure that the nursery is all done and making sure they've got bottles and a good dummy and formula just in case and none of that is for the mum so I'm a huge advocate for even forgetting the nursery and putting all of that love and energy into your nest so whether it be your bedroom mm. or a corner in the baby's nursery where you have a comfy chair and pillows that you love you have plants and photos that make you happy you've got a really nice warm lamp, lamp like a salt lamp or fairy lights or um, a journal, I, I feel like there's a lot of discussion around birth trauma and I think a lot of that comes from not talking or reflecting on your birth in the early days. 
like you said before, whether you had a traumatic birth or not, some a lot of women carry trauma from their birth, even if it went exactly to plan and it was magical. And I think it's, I think journaling is a really powerful tool in your postpartum period because if you are alone feeding in the middle of the night, well, we all know that saying things out loud helps them disappear or helps you process yeah it's like a release yeah exactly and you can't sometimes you can't do that if you're sat feeding at two o'clock in the morning and you're on on your own so I feel like and I'm not a journaler personally but I wrote a lot in my um postpartum period I wrote my feelings down I wrote my birth story I brainstormed all my baby names because my daughter didn't have a name for the first week um so yes (laughs) setting up a little nest for you with things that make you happy and things that will help you stick to your goal of resting and cocooning for however long it may be. Um, so yeah, I think they're my five tips for the fourth trimester. Okay. So your number one was finding your village in the elements of personal community and professional meal prepping, asking for help or getting comfortable asking for help rest and setting an intention to rest And my favorite that you mentioned is postpartum nest. And I think, yeah, like you were saying, drawing that energy that we put nesting for baby, putting that back into ourselves. Yeah, I think that would be a game changer. I really do. I mean, I mean, you've gone through it at the end of the day, all a baby really needs is their mum or nappies, but you could technically get away without nappies if you really had to, like you are, you are, you are pretty much all they need. So we we yeah we fuss so much about all this stuff for a baby and we don't stop to think about ourselves and we are all that baby needs at the end of the day so if we're falling apart then baby's got no no chance so yeah really and i i i learned this through my studies that there is a difference between postpartum and postnatal and those words are really often used interchangeably um, and I put up a post the other day and I realized that so many people didn't realize that postnatal refers to the baby and postpartum refers to the mother, which I think the conversation around postpartum is so important because talking about the mother is what we really need to do a lot more of. Mm, I agree. And I did see your post about that and I thought postnatal was like the Aussie version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And postpartum was the American. American. Yeah, that's so funny. I think, yeah. I never thought about it any other way. I agree with you, though. I think language is important and getting it right is important for sure. But what you were saying about postpartum nesting, I had a quote by Dr. Oscar Serilak. He says, I deeply believe that if mothers are well, families are well. And if families are well, then society has a much better chance of being well. And just then when we were talking about nesting, that popped into my brain because I thought, yeah, this is where this wellness starts. It starts in pregnancy. Um, so I wanted to ask, what are some ways we can support a new mum? But I kind of struggle with this a little, right? Because we talk about how mums are doing it all alone all the time, but it's mums supporting the new mums. Yeah, I was actually talking to a friend this morning and she was saying, she was three days postpartum and she had this rush of like, oh, my son, my one of my best friends has had a baby. I, I feel really inspired. So she was three days postpartum in the kitchen preparing all these beautiful soups for her friend that had just had her first baby. She was on her second baby. And I was like, yeah, because like that's what 
women and mothers do and when we were talking about postpartum doula at the very beginning and you were talking about how yes other mums have that experience but there is so much value in that postpartum doula perspective on the reverse of that I feel that so much of a postpartum doula is a mother energy coming in and I feel that most mothers would make the most wonderful postpartum doulas because they understand and it resonates and they have that innate want to hold space and care for and nurture another mother. So So instead of mums then, what are some ways other people, because I don't want mums to feel pressure no, that they have to more, do these well, things. Let's add to their emotional load, mental loads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think about my postpartum too and it was my mum friends that were really there for me. Yeah, of course. Um, well, okay, well, obviously my number one tip is deliver a new mum food. Um, I'm really passionate about setting boundaries in terms of don't just show up at a new mum's house or don't stay for longer than an hour. And if you do come into her space, forget the baby until you've ticked all the boxes of mother care. So have you made her a cup of tea? Have you given her some food? Have you changed the washing? Have you done things to help her before you focus on the baby? Um, But at the same time, I think we need to cut out how many times we are asking a mum if she needs something because the default answer is typically, no, thanks, I'm fine, I'm all good. So I think surprise deliveries of food or coffee or, I don't know, their favourite pastry and literally dropping it at the door and texting once you've left to be like something on the doorstep for you is a really great way to support and give help without without her saying no to the help to begin with and without like crossing any boundaries or making her feel um, obliged to entertain guests or visitors. And then there's other things that are really helpful that I think we don't often think about. So especially if she's got other kids is offering to do daycare pickups or drop-offs. And that's something dads can do. do. Um, Even on the weekend, taking other kids out to play, if you're going to the park with your child, picking up their kid on the way and saying, I'm just going to take them out of the house for a couple of hours for you. Because I think that can also be another stress and pressure on you mums is, no, I need to get up out of bed because so-and-so's been on the iPad for three hours. I need to go and get them out of the house. So I think Anything that weighs on a new mum in terms of responsibilities, any of those that you can lift off her plate for her are a really wonderful way to support a new mum. And I also, another thing with um, cooking meals for a new mum, something that I did as well as my mum cooking for me was we ordered a, um, a few weeks of HelloFresh or Marley Spoon because it was a really great way to eliminate having to think about what we were going to eat and also having to go to the supermarket. And it was really easy for my husband to follow a recipe with all the ingredients laid out in front of him. So it it might not tick all the boxes of perfect, nutrient-dense, postpartum nourishment, but some food is better than no food. And I think um, that can also make it easier, not just for the new mum, but for the, the whole family. Well, I was thinking about my second postpartum experience because that was in the very beginning of COVID and, you know, Queensland was in its first lockdown and all of that was happening. Um, I didn't see anybody, but I had so much love delivered to my door. I had meals delivered. I had a friend who wrote me this really beautiful letter that had like this 
picture frame drawing of a mum and baby, you know, just like these really thoughtful gifts. I had another friend deliver this amazing grazing platter and, you know, it was all my mum friends that delivered these yeah, things of course. to me. <laughs> um, but I was having this conversation with a friend not long ago and we had another friend who was sort of semi-struggling and I said to her I was going to do her grocery shopping and deliver a meal and my other friend was like, oh, you're so good. And she said that she was going to pick up her kids and take them for the day. And I was like, oh, you're so good because I would never do that. But my friend at the same time was like, oh, stuff cooking. So, you know, it was like we could help each other in different ways that we enjoyed. Well, we've all got our, we've all got our love languages, haven't we? And that's I, I often have to stop and think that I honestly believe that my love language is food. But that to a lot of people is like, oh. God, really? I have to cook for them. So yeah, there there are definitely other ways. But I also think something that we like reframing other gifts. So flowers are really beautiful, but they can sometimes be really strong smelling, which can be really off putting to a new mum. Mm. They if you don't change the water, it gets really gross and really smelly. And often bunches of flowers end up sat in stagnant water for weeks, if not longer. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, instead of delivering a mum, I love that someone delivers you a, a platter of food or even a fruit basket or just something that looks colourful and pretty, but it's practical and useful and isn't going to give mum another thing to do. You mentioned before about how the last two years with COVID and things, the supporters kind of looked different because some people were home and able to support new mums. So maybe potentially, I don't know, I'd have to look at the stats, but postpartum doulas weren't used as often because they probably couldn't come into the home. But something I've noticed about this time that doesn't really sit well with me is that birth and postpartum care has been considered a non-essential. So having support postpartum, or in your birth, yeah, it's considered non-essential. But then you go home and your midwife is calling you because she can't come in to check you or maybe you don't even have that support at all with someone even calling you um, because nobody can come over. So while I felt loved that friends came and delivered things, I know a lot of people didn't have this. Um, Someone actually said to me on Instagram the other day, and I have her permission to share this, Um, Her midwife couldn't come into her home just after she'd had a baby and she had stitches after her birth. Um, So the midwife was on the phone and she couldn't come in to check her. So her midwife said, FaceTime me your vaginal stitches. And I'm just like, this is outrageous. This is the postpartum care FaceTime. It makes me just want to bang my head against a wall, honestly. But I wanted to know as a postpartum doula, how do you feel about this, this whole postpartum birth non-essential business and changing and adapting to COVID restrictions I think outside of the birth professional world like I'm originally from the UK and so I was really lucky I moved over to Australia with my family but my husband's Scottish his sister is married to an Australian she's got two kids and then she's got another one on the way and every time she's had a baby her mum's flown over to support her through that time from Scotland and that's not an option at the moment and it hasn't been an option for a long time and yes that's from Scotland but I can't even cross into New South Wales to well I can but I can't come come home to go and support her so that sort of it's not just the birth professionals that are being affected by that it's mums have never been more isolated than through this COVID lockdown and it's 
it's really heartbreaking because I guess it does start in the birth space where a lot of people that have hired a postpartum doula is because there's a lot of fear around birth. They've had a traumatic first birth experience and they want to do something to help them through their second birth. So a lot of women are investing in that support and then to have it taken away from them, often at the last minute because regulations have chopped and changed so much, is then meaning I think there's been a lot more birth trauma through COVID with the restrictions, which then very clearly trickles down into a, a mum's postpartum health, mental health. It's leading to higher rates of postpartum anxiety and depression. And then on top of that, they then have to FaceTime to get their stitches checked. I just think it's, I think there's a trickle down effect that is so much worse than those sort of isolated moments of one telehealth call or not not being able to have a doula. I think the, the big picture of it is really scary. And I think that there, there are a lot of mums that usually don't speak up in the best of times that have really, really deeply struggled through this covid picture i guess you could call it um but i think it's outrageous that it's deemed non-essential i think yeah it's i feel like this is just the narrative in women's health really oh absolutely it just doesn't surprise me well i read a really interesting article i think it was in the sydney morning herald about um women going through menopause and it just being dismissed as meh like it's part of life by their doctor and there's absolutely no attention on like there's so much that women can do now to support them through that journey and menopause is one day we go through perimenopause for sometimes 10 or 15 years so if you're going to your doctor and they're like part of life deal with it you don't want to have 10 years that's a huge chunk of your life being neglected and suffering when there are so many things that we can incorporate to help women through that transition so I think yeah that is the overarching narrative in women's health for whatever stage they're in and I think it starts when a woman's pregnant and there's so much attention on her and then she has a baby and all the attention is moved to the baby and for the rest of her life she seems to have no attention on her yet she's the one with the emotional mental and physical load greater than anyone else around her dare I say it kind of does make sense to me that mental illness has skyrocketed in the last 50 years even if we're just able to recognize it better and whatnot but it makes sense this is a recipe for angry mums and you know we we aren't talking about it um I wanted to ask you what did the fourth trimester look like for you um Oh, I was going to say, I don't know if people are completely familiar with what the fourth trimester is because technically it is a term that doesn't quite make sense. But the reason I love it so the reason I love it so much is because the postpartum period is six weeks and it's a medical term. So the post the fourth trimester sort of refers to a time where a baby is still very much as if they would be in the womb. Um, and it gives a mother more time to rest and recover. Um, and I do think with so much focus on six weeks, when women get to the end of that six weeks and the switch hasn't flipped and they feel fabulous again, they're like, oh, I'm crap at this. What have I done wrong? It doesn't take six weeks to become a fantastic mother and for everything to fall into place. Like 
a lot of women are still bleeding up until that that point so mm-hmm. um yeah that's why I love the the phrase the fourth trimester because it does and it's still uh, you said um in your notes that postpartum is forever and so six weeks doesn't do it justice but at least the fourth trimester gives mums a little bit more time um Mm -hmm. than that six week period so for me it was my postpartum period that really inspired my my book um because I'm really lucky I have a mum that lives next door but one and she delivered me food every day and it was hard I had I had a, I was really lucky actually. I had an incredible home birth with my daughter, with a. Pro- oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I had um, a beautiful home birth with Maria from my own midwife. Um, I had a giant baby. She was ten pound three, and yeah, and really long as well. She was fifty nine centimeters long. She was ten days overdue. So, I had this giant baby in the water in a magical home birth which was the most empowering and incredible experience of my life and so I went from giving birth into my bedroom and then I didn't leave my bedroom for at least a week so that was that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about home birth and making home birth more accessible because I think it's a really beautiful start of your fourth trimester is to begin it at home in your nest if it's an option to you but I acknowledge that I was incredibly privileged to have a private midwife and to birth at home because I know that it's not an option for a lot of women and I think there's only one or two private midwives left on the Gold Coast moving into the new year because I know my own midwife have have shut up shop after a long time of serving and supporting mums on the Gold Coast um so yeah, my beautiful fourth trimester started at home. My first meal after birth was cheesy scrambled eggs in bed, um, which was the best meal I think I've ever eaten. Oh, it beats hospital food. With <laughs> yeah. like nice buttery sourdough toast and curled up in bed with my new baby, and it was just wonderful. Um, and then yeah, I had my mum delivering me. She delivered me this chicken noodle soup that a friend of mine had posted on Instagram. And I loved it so much, I requested it every day. So that recipe ended up in my book, um, as long as as well as these little midnight muffins that she'd make me, which were little like egg muffins that I used to snack on in the middle of the night when I was feeding. Um, I didn't leave the house for I was like for the first ten days, and the only reason I left is because I had to go to an appointment. Other than that. I I spent at least the first three weeks at home, sort of cocooned on the couch. I My daughter had a tongue and lip tie, so she just really wasn't putting on much weight. So I had a few feeding dramas, did lots of line feeding, which I know a lot of mums aren't familiar with, um, which was fiddly and exhausting, and I was pumping around the clock. But I'm so glad that I was stuck at home dealing with all of those challenges I was in a safe space where I felt comfortable um I didn't have that added pressure of trying to feed or settle a baby in public so there are other benefits other than a mother resting to cocooning in your house for those first few weeks I think you've mentioned quite a few throughout our conversation but 
What were your biggest realizations in that time, the fourth trimester? Well, I don't really feel like I had baby blues, but I think on day three, I called my mum next door, hysterically crying, saying, I'm so sorry for anything mean I ever said to you or anything mean I I was just flooded with guilt over like, I was such a, I was one of those real bratty teenagers and I was just full and I butted head with my mum so much and so I just was like, yeah, that was my baby blues manifested as guilt over all the times I fought with my mum. It's like um, this newfound appreciation for her. Huge appreciation. I had, um, I had a newfound appreciation for my body. I absolutely mm. loved my soft, squishy postpartum tummy. And I know that's not a common feeling or opinion, but yeah. going through birth and yeah, I just had this whole new appreciation for myself. Um, the birth experience gave me a whole new perspective on, I guess, my inner strength, which I'd never sort of seen in that light before. So I found that really empowering. Um but yeah, I just had this overwhelming shock and surprise at how birth and motherhood is such a everyday occurrence and a like a normal thing that people are doing every second. But it's such a monumentous experience at the, at the same time. I was just really surprised at how huge the experience was and how unacknowledged it is if that makes sense like women are giving birth constantly and are going through this transition which is huge so I was I think that took me by surprise a lot during those early weeks and months and I actually so many people would say to me you're a mum how does it feel to be a mum my sister would say that to me all the time like I don't feel like a mum I feel like a hybrid between a cow and a cleaner and I've, I like, cause that's what the reality of those early weeks was. And I vividly remember my daughter had just turned one and I hopped on my bike, I think probably for one of the first times on my own and cycled down to the shop. And I was cycling along the path with the wind in my hair. And I just have a vivid memory of having this coin drop moment of, oh, I actually feel like a mum now. And I think it was just that feeling of cycling away from her leaving her at home going for a bike ride on my own which was something that like you were attached to your baby like I co-slept with Billy we were inseparable she fed all through the day all through the night it was just that I don't know vivid feeling of separation doing an activity that I'd done so much before becoming a mother just riding a bike an everyday activity and that was when I had that um moment of wow I'm a mum and I feel like a mum and that took yeah that took a year of being a mum to have that feeling of being a mother so I think that answers your question yeah absolutely it's great there's a lot to cover in postpartum and postpartum can have so many layers to it just like birth and I find everyone's experiences are quite unique and like we were saying before postpartum kind of is forever Um, how can you ever be the same after having a baby, particularly if you do have significant physical birth trauma? Um, But how do you think we can support our postpartum journey throughout all its stages in life? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Firstly, I feel like we need to 
focus more on postpartum and what it is and what it means in the early stages. And then I wonder if that concept of postpartum for being forever lessens the importance and focus on it in the early stages. I don't know how I feel. Because I agree. I agree we are changed. And it isn't a case of I'm a mother now, ta-da, we're back to normal. We are forever changing. But then I wonder if it's matrescence that is forever and that evolution into a mother that is forever changing. And I think the one thing that we can do from the second a baby is born until we are old and grey and grandmothers is support other mothers offer help be there to help them at whatever stage they're in I think that's the the only thing one of the only things we can do for women through that forever postpartum or forever matrescence is offer support and offer it regularly and I think learning about matrescence actually really helps understand why you feel the way you feel in postpartum and all its stages and beyond because we even talk about when our parents become grandparents. Um, so we could use grandmothers in this instance and how that continues to change and shape them. But yeah, matrescence is something really powerful when we know about it and learn about it. But yes, I do agree. Matrescence could be the better term and normalizing matrescence over postpartum is forever so that it doesn't lessen the early postpartum, as you were saying. Yeah, but no, I, I've... I've I've said it and I I do believe that it's not confined to that six week period or even that three month period but I wonder if postpartum is the right word because at the end of the day it is also a western medical term is the postpartum period And, and so I almost feel like that doesn't have the weight that it needs to describe that lifelong transition and also like what we didn't talk about is the fact that you go through that with every baby and you go through it differently with every baby. Um, and even with information and knowledge you gain along the way, you evolve and change. Um, and, I, and another thing that I've started to think about lately, which I'd never thought about because I'd never experienced it, and it's something that I'm starting to become more aware of and research more, is the concept of postpartum after loss. and postpartum after early birth because we do focus so much attention on postpartum with a mother who's got a baby by her side but they're even if you're pregnant for six weeks you your body has still changed you've still started giving your valuable resources to this baby so you are depleted and not only are you depleted Mm. you're dealing with a whole level of grief that a mum that has a baby by her side isn't dealing with so I mean it's hard enough to get attention on postpartum as it is but there are other offshoots of that postpartum is forever Mm. postpartum after loss um and bringing awareness to that women are changed forever when they fall pregnant whether they end up bringing the baby into the world or whether it becomes a spirit baby it's there's a deep cellular change in women and it's something we don't acknowledge or talk about as much as we probably should. I like that you mentioned postpartum after loss because it really doesn't get the airtime, for lack of better words, that it deserves. And this is why I think postpartum is 
so unique to every mother and parent because while postpartum may look different for someone who has lost and doesn't get to bring their baby home, the care should be the same. Exactly. It's not just because of that. Yeah. Oh, we can't physically see a baby there. Therefore, well, but you've still, a lot of women have still physically birthed. They've, they've gone through everything. They, they need that love and support and nourishment. Um, and that's uncomfortable and hard to talk about. Um, and so often we don't know what to say or to do. But if you follow the same principles of supporting a new mum that does have a baby, chances are you're going to make a huge difference in, in that mum's world, that heartbreaking world that she's in. I really appreciate you taking your time to come on the podcast and talk to me and this community about the fourth trimester and what we could be doing better. So thank you so much for coming on. My absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed chatting to you too. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.